Hi everybody, a quick welcome to my three new Patreon supporters this week. I guess Eleanor Stieber really struck a note for many of you. Welcome to Mary, to Michelle, to Andrea. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast, and for those who might consider also becoming financial supporters of Countermelody, please go to patreon.com countermelody, where you too can become a supporter. So I don't know what happened to me yesterday, but I threw out my back and I am in positive agony. But I'm going to do my best to get through this episode somehow with flying colors because I have a singer to present to you today who is very close to my heart. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. And now, this week's episode. Seems like we've been doing a lot of birthday observances around here, which is just fine with me. In fact, I'm thinking for next season, I'll probably do one episode a month that features artists who, in a given month, are observing anniversaries of some sort or other. Today's birthday girl, if you will, is the magnificent African-American lyric soprano Adele Addison, who was born on July 24th, 1925. Same birthday, in fact, as my beloved brother Jonathan, but 40 years earlier. Enough, I've got a full program of Adele Addison to present to you. Let's lead it off with this live performance of Laudate Dominum from the Mozart Vespers. This performance took place in Boston with the Boston Symphony Orchestra and the Radcliffe Choral Society, led by Charles Bunch.
I was surprised as I was researching Adele Addison this week to discover that she had sung with City Opera and other American opera companies around the country. She is certainly best remembered today as a concert singer, and as such, she really covered the gamut. To lead off the episode, I'm going to present two examples of some of her most celebrated concert repertoire. Let's start with what I believe was her first commercial recording in 1950, the first complete recording of Bach's St. John Passion. It was sung in English. The text was translated by none other than Robert Shaw, who led the chorus and conducted the orchestra. Here she is singing the first of the piece's two soprano arias, Ich folge dir gleichfalls, or as it's called here, I follow thee also. The instrumentalists here are the flautist Julius Baker and the cellist Bernard Greenhouse. Adele Addison was also celebrated for her performance of contemporary music, many works of which she created. 
Perhaps the most famous work that she created was Lucas Foss's Time Cycle, which she first performed in 1961 under the baton of Leonard Bernstein. Incidentally, Leonard Bernstein is the third of three conductors, two of whom we just heard, Scharnmönch and Robert Shaw, who were passionate advocates of the singing of Adele Addison and used her very frequently in both concerts and recordings. Lucas Foss's Time Cycle exists in two different versions, one for chamber ensemble and one for full orchestra, and consists of settings of four poems by quite different poets, all concerned with the theme of time and its passing. We're going to hear an excerpt from the second song, When the Bells Jostle. This was the final poem written by A.E. Hausman at the end of his life. Hausman, of course, best remembered for his poetry cycle, A Shropshire Lad. It's a short but extraordinarily bitter poem. When the bells jostle in the tower, the hollow night amid, then on my tongue the taste is sour of all I ever did. Thank you. 
Perhaps Adele Addison's best remembered contribution these days is as the dubbed voice of Dorothy Dandridge in Otto Preminger's 1959 film of George Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, in which the voice of Sidney Poitier is similarly dubbed by the great Robert McFerrin, who was featured in one of my very first episodes back in 2020. This is a gig that almost didn't happen. Addison was called in at the last minute to replace a singer whose voice was found to be, quote, too shrill for the part of Bess. The film is virtually never seen these days, but one can still enjoy the recording of the soundtrack. We're going to listen to just a very brief portion. It's Bess's response to Porgy singing, Bess, you is my woman now. Porgy, I's your woman now. And the orchestra is arranged and conducted by the late Andre Previn, who won an Oscar for his musical contribution to this controversial film. One of Adele Addison's supreme gifts was her ability to spin out a long, exquisite vocal line. I don't think we're going to hear a better example of that today than in this next excerpt, her a cappella rendition of the spiritual Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child.
Although Adele Addison was born in New York City, her family moved, when she was still quite young, to Springfield, Massachusetts, and it was there that she grew up and went to school. Already at that point, she showed a keen interest in music and, in fact, began voice studies while living there. While I was researching Ms. Addison this week, I came upon a fascinating mini-documentary put out by the Springfield Museum on a mural that was commissioned by them in the late 1940s by the painter Sante Graziani. In it, the young Adele Addison is depicted as representing the contributions of African-American musicians to the cultural life of Springfield and, indeed, the nation. It's in that familiar WPA mural style. I have to say, I think it's a really, really beautiful work. And I'm going to put a link on the show notes page to this video so that you can see the depiction of the young Adele Addison as she's represented in that mural. Upon graduation, Addison was awarded a scholarship to study at the Westminster Choir College in Princeton, New Jersey. In addition to her studies there, she worked at what was then called the Berkshire Music Center, now Tanglewood, where she studied under Boris Goldovsky. She also pursued graduate studies at Princeton. And while she was still a student at Princeton, she made her professional recital debut in Boston in 1948. After graduating from Princeton, she moved to New York, where she continued her vocal studies. One of her teachers there was the Danish recitalist, whose name I've always pronounced Povla Frisch, but who evidently, if one is using proper Danish pronunciation, one would say, I say this just as a little joke. But actually, it's not too far from the truth, as some of you who have worked with the Danish language or even lived in Denmark will have experienced. I have an example of something from Povla Frisch, or Pöllefuth. But first, a word about her. She was featured on my Voiceless Wonder episode a couple years ago, and I would say she is the primary example of a musical wonder who really was virtually voiceless. That does not keep many people from being enormous fans of her singing. She always used the text as her way into a piece and could never have interpreted a piece that didn't have a text that really grabbed her. She was celebrated not only as a recitalist, but also as a teacher and, as I mentioned, Adele Addison did study with her in New York City. I'm going to play you just one example of Paul Lafrice, that is Voici que le printemps of Claude Debussy, set to a poem by Paul Bourget. Paul Lafrice is accompanied by the American pianist and composer Celius Dougherty in this 1940 recording. Qui le poursuit en dansant comme un folle. 
1996 interview with Opera News, Adele Addison stated, I loved the song repertoire from the start, and as I began to sing for even the smallest ladies' clubs, etc., those inviting me expected and accepted that. Even as the years passed and I sang all the rest of the repertoire, opera, oratorio, chamber music, etc., the first love remained my curiosity, joy, and love for song never changed. It still has not. I don't think it's difficult to trace that love for song back to Addison's teacher, Paula Fris. If Fris was not the source of Adele's love for song, it certainly was a love that these two estimable artists shared. There are lamentably few examples of Adele Addison performing the song literature that are available for us to hear today. But once again, as so often, I am grateful to my favorite YouTube person, Kado Guy, for posting a live performance from the year 1957 by Adele Addison with the pianist Brooks Smith of Debussy's Ariette Oubliée. I'm offering two selections from that today. Here's the first one, C'est l'extase, and you hear the almost rhapsodic care that Adele Addison takes with the expression of the meaning of the text, wedded, I would add, to a voice that functions exquisitely well. Clearly, in the case of Paula Fris and Adele Addison, the apple did not fall far from the tree.
We've heard Adele Addison's way with Bach. She was equally celebrated for her Handel. While she didn't record enough, she did leave recordings, however, of a fairly representative selection of her repertoire, including a recording made in 1960 of Handel's L'Allegro ed il Penseroso, which was based on a long poem of John Milton. This recording is well worth seeking out because you get to hear Adele Addison in a wide variety of arias. I would say there are probably about 10 arias. I mean, it's just one gorgeous thing after another. I picked one that shows off her coloratura ability. This is Orpheus himself may heave his head. And this performance was led by Frederick Waldman conducting his Musica Eterna Orchestra. in the same year, 1960, but this time with Leonard Bernstein and the New York Philharmonic. Here is another Handelian tribute to music, this a setting of John Dryden's Ode for St. Cecilia's Day. Again, it is an Adele Addison fest. This is another recording well worth seeking out, because you get to hear her do such a range of glorious arias. This one was the one that really touched my heart. What passion cannot music raise and quell? And it's a very long aria, so I'm just playing you the B section and then the abbreviated da capo. The solo cellist that we hear here is Lajlo Varga. <laughs> Oh, 
one of the three conductors that I mentioned earlier as so instrumental in furthering Adele Addison's career, Charles Munch, engaged her for what was undoubtedly the most important of the world premieres in which she participated, that of Francis Poulenc's Gloria for chorus, orchestra, and soprano solo, which premiered in Boston on the 21st of January 1961. From that world premiere performance, we're going to hear the Domine Deus. The chorus heard here is the chorus pro musica. And Charles Munch himself, of course, leads the Boston Symphony. Poulenc, by the way, was officially delighted with Addison's performance.
Adele Addison was very active in the creation of new American work. She was clearly a crackerjack musician, and as you heard in the Lucas Foss, even the most tortured vocal writing held no difficulties for her. Some of the works that she created were more playful than others, shall we say, including a wonderful piece by the now-forgotten American composer Lester Trimble. He composed a wonderful piece of vocal chamber music called Four Fragments from the Canterbury Tales. It scored for soprano, harpsichord, flute, and clarinet. And we're going to hear the third movement, A Young Squire, which to my ear was the most characterful and the one which presents Adele Addison in her very finest fettle. The instrumentalists are Robert Conant playing harpsichord, Martin Orenstein playing the flute, and Charles Russo on clarinet. A young square, a young square, he was a lugier and a lusty bachelor with lotus crew. As they were lied in
Adele Addison did not have a terribly long career. As the 60s wore on, she began scaling back her performances and instead took on the mantle of teacher. She taught at Stony Brook, at Eastman, at Aspen, and certainly her longest and most significant association was at the Manhattan School of Music, where she also served for a good number of years as the chair of the voice department. Probably her most celebrated student is Dawn Upshaw, who in many ways carried on the mantle of her distinguished teacher, especially in her love for song and in her commissioning and performance of vital contemporary vocal chamber music. The style of the music being composed may well have changed in those intervening years, but the importance of these works, especially as providing a mirror into the time in which they were composed, is so crucial. I have an example, a stunning example of Dawn Upshaw to offer you right now. This is the second movement of a very unusual piece of vocal chamber music. It's a song cycle by the American composer Earl Kim called Where Grief Slumbers. The texts are Samuel Beckett's translations into English of the French originals by Arthur Rimbaud. In this 1991 recording, we're going to hear the second movement called From Drunken Boat, and it packs an emotional wallop. Let's just say that.
One of Addison's best remembered recordings, and I think maybe the one in which I first heard her voice, is a recording made in 19, I think it's 1966, possibly 67, of Erin Copeland's 12 Poems of Emily Dickinson, which she recorded with the composer himself. Her voice may not have the ultimate freshness that it did 15 years earlier, but it is still an instrument that is used for the utmost expression. This is the eighth poem of the cycle, When They Come Back. And I don't have to read you the text. Because, as was also the case with Eleanor Steber last week, you can understand every single word. When they come back, if blossoms do, I'll always be without if blossoms can be born again when once the earth is Robins do. I always had a fear I did not tell. It was their last experiment last year. I mentioned earlier that Adele Addison did sing some operatic roles. These included Mimi, Liu, Gilda, Michaela, Nanetta, and, rather surprisingly, in my opinion, Fiordiligi. In many of her recordings, we hear a rather modest-sized instrument, but there are others in which perhaps larger possibilities, shall we say, are hinted at. Among other world premieres in which she participated, there is a rather large-scale choral work by a composer, again, not so well-remembered today, Benjamin Lees. He composed a multi-movement work set to poems of Walt Whitman called Visions of Poets. And, wonder of wonders, we have a live recording of that piece as it was premiered in Seattle in 1962. I'm going to play two excerpts of it for you, and what I'd like to show here is that Adele Addison did have more heft behind her sound than one might initially hear in some of her song recordings. First, we're going to hear one of the interior movements for soprano solo and orchestra, which uses as its text a portion of Whitman's poem, Song of Myself. The conductor Milton Catums leads the Seattle Symphony Orchestra. Thank you. 
This work is scored for both soprano solo and tenor soloist, and on this occasion, Addison's fellow soloist is the tragically short-lived but enormously voiced Albert da Costa, who is famous for his Wagnerian roles, including once singing one act of Tristan und Isolde at the Met opposite Birgit Nielsen in a performance which had three different Tristans, one per act. (laughs) Anyway, this is the very end of the piece, and you hear what an enormous impact he has. And not only that, you hear Adele Addison's voice ringing loud and clear over the entire orchestra and chorus, My point is that this tiny little woman with the apparently modest voice actually could pull out all the stops when she needed to. time for me to tell my very brief story of my personal contact with Adele Addison. I'm trying to remember exactly when this was. Of course, I'm not going to be able to because I've lost all sense of time. But at some point when I was still singing and competing in competitions, I took part in, I don't even remember what the name of the competition was. (laughs) I do remember some of the judges were Hilda Harris, Paul Sperry, and Adele Addison, who was the head of the jury. I believe it was focused on art song because I sang the Debussy Colloque Sentimentale and she was very complimentary. And in fact, she told me it was my performance of that song that made them choose me as the winner of the competition. So that was a lovely thing. And then she wrote this beautiful handwritten letter recommending me. This was back in the day when people did such things. She's still with us all these years later. She's turning 97 on Sunday. And I have two more examples to play for you of Adele Addison today. First is another of the Ariettes Oubliées, the first one which we heard in that live performance from 1957. This is the song Spleen, which closes the cycle. Unlike Celestase, this is not a song of exquisite bliss. This to me is a song about how in any relationship, love is never evenly distributed. Both text and setting reveal such heartbreak, such bitterness, such intensity, and she really lets it rip. The roses were all red, and the ivy was all black. One movement from you reawakens all of my despair. 
The sky was too blue, too tender. The sea was too green, and the air was too sweet. I'm always awaiting your latest dreadful desertion. I am weary of everything surrounding me. Everything, alas, but you. I hope you will all join me in wishing the inimitable, the exceptional, the exquisite Adele Addison a very happy 97th birthday. If any of my listeners out there knows Miss Addison, perhaps you'll be inspired to tell her about this very heartfelt birthday tribute. Around here, we don't forget. We remember, we treasure, and we celebrate. In 1962, Leonard Bernstein performed a truncated version of the St. Matthew Passion, sung in English, which was subsequently recorded. In some ways, it's extraordinarily old-fashioned, but in other ways, specifically in the exquisite, heart-wrenching singing of Adele Addison, it remains, 60 years later, such a compelling document.
my dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. <laughs>